Welcome to Roundhouse Kicks. We talk about sneakers, sneaker culture, and the people who create and consume it. Today is part one of a two-part New Balance extravaganza. In this episode, we are talking about the history of the little company that could, that built itself up from manufacturing arch supports in 1906 to a multi-billion dollar mainstay in global sneaker and street fashion. There's a lot of New Balance information coming at you over the next two weeks, so be prepared to learn a lot or a little, depending on how well you know your norm core, your dad shoe, your comfy fam, however you choose to describe the company with arguably the most exciting future in sneaker and streetwear today. But first, let's look at some sneaker news and new releases. We spoke a couple of weeks ago about a pair of black and red Air Jordan 13s, the same pair of 13s that Jordan wore in Game 2 of the 1998 NBA Finals, Jordan's final finals as a Chicago Bull. His final finals ever, actually. The sneaker sold for a record 2.2 million USD via Sotheby's New York. The previous record held by a pair of sneakers sold at auction was in 2021, when a pair of Jordan's airships sold for 1.47 million dollars, also through Sotheby's. I wish I had 2.2 million to spend on kicks. Nike is in full swing, retroing their foam posit line, the sneaker line made famous by past Nike athlete Penny Hardaway. Having recently released a foam posit collab with Children's Hospital Dornbecker, as well as the long-awaited black-and-white Penny PE, news has now surfaced that the infamous Galaxy foam posit, which created rioting, havoc, and general insanity when it released in very limited numbers back in 2012, will finally see a retro release sometime in 2024. The foam posit is a silhouette that has not aged well, and reception to the recent releases has been relatively mild. But if any foam posit gets sneakerheads' heart rates up, it will be this one. No exact release date has been set. Kevin Durant recently shared the first image of his upcoming KD-16 with Nike. He shared a picture that included the new silhouette in colorways of black and purple, red and white, and blue and pink. He also wore an all-black version of the shoe in Game 1 of the NBA Finals on the weekend, where the Suns are playing the Clippers. The shoes didn't do him any good, though, as the Clippers stole Game 1, despite being down another Nike alum, Paul George. Sneaker releases this week include the launch of Ja Morant's Nike Ja Day 1 in blue and pink with a wraparound gradient swoosh. Those drop on April 19th. On April 20th, rap group Run the Jewels will see their Nike collaboration come to light when two RTJ Nike SBs will drop in both a high black and pink and a low blue version with a pink swoosh also on the 20th new balance is dropping two made in uk 576s in brown monk's robe and pink mauve colorways and jordan is dropping the air jordan 13 black flint on april 22nd So New Balance has been a thing since 1906. They've been making shoes since 1938. They've been customizing shoes to the specific widths of people's feet since 1960. Their famous oversized N logo was created in 1976 and has been prominently gracing the sides of their shoes ever since. They signed their first professional athlete in 1985 when Lakers Hall of Famer James Worthy helped them usher in their new basketball division of sneakers and athletic wear. 
and they fired their first professional athlete in 1990 when Worthy was caught soliciting some prostitutes in Houston. In 1986, New Balance introduced their 500 series of shoes, including the 575, 576, and in 1988, the 574, a mix of the 75 and 76 with updated tech and advanced cushioning. It's this 574 model which has become synonymous with the New Balance dad shoe aesthetic and has been their flagship ever since its debut. A couple of years before the debut of the 575, New Balance introduced their 900 series with the 990V1, at that time simply called the 990. 16 years later, they updated the 990 with an all-new silhouette, taking advantage of modern technology and their chunkiest midsole to date, filled with their all-new Absorb, Absorb with a Z, shock absorbing foam. 14 years after that, New Balance again updated the 990 with a third all-new silhouette, which looked nothing like the previous two and is still considered one of the best models in New Balance's catalog. The 990 V3 is a go-to for collaborative minds that New Balance invites into the fold. There was far less reinvention and far more under-the-hood twists and tweaks that went into the 990 V4, which dropped just four years after the V3. The more subtle design variation didn't bother consumers, though, and the V4 was inhaled, by the masses when it became available to the general public in December of 2016. A few years later, New Balance released the V5, an even more subtle design variation on the V4 than that shoe was on the V3. In fact, New Balance pulled back on the silhouette, creating a more simplified and minimalist take than the previous shoes, but again upgrading the hardware. Utilizing more expensive suede, more plush mesh, and a plastic power strap for added durability and performance. But as a result of all that luxury was New Balance's most expensive sneaker to date. That cautious subtlety came to an end in 2022 when the 990 V6 dropped. The first 990 sneaker since the V3 that looked vastly different from its previous iteration, mostly thanks to its new designer, Teddy Santis. More on him later. The V6 leans heavily into the dad shoe vibe New Balance is famous for, resulting in the chunkiest midsole since the V2, but also the most mixed reaction to a 990 shoe thus far. People hoping for a continuation of the sleek and sexy look of the past few 990s were disappointed in its more industrial, slightly more futuristic look, and while far from being a flop, its sales nonetheless reflected this. But New Balance was quick to give the public something to fawn over with this model when they announced the 990 V6 Baklava, a multicolored collaboration with rapper and television foodie Action Bronson, which arrived just four months after the flagship Castle Grey colorway. Bronson, a lifelong New Balance aficionado, said in interviews that it was his mom who got him into the brand when he was just a youngin' and they would go sneaker hunting together on Long Island. But it wasn't the shoe's material quality or stylistic sensibilities that had his mom on the balance train. It was the fact that those were the only shoes made wide enough to fit her feet. And this is the rack that New Balance has hung its hat on since the 1960s and continue to do so today. Sizing. Because while most shoe manufacturers will cut shoes from toddler sizes all the way up to size 14 or perhaps even 15, New Balance adjusts for width as well. Now, people who are a size 10 but with a size 11 or 12 width foot or people who are a size 10 but with a size 9 width foot can order the New Balance sneaker that's perfectly tooled to their exact measurements. No more ordering size 12s and having 2 inches of space in the toes. 
just so that the sides of your feet don't ache at the end of every day. But this attention to detail is at the core of the founding of the company by William J. Riley, all the way back in 1906 when, observing the way chickens, despite their top-heavy structure, were able to maintain perfect balance on just three toes. This led Riley to found the New Balance Arch Support Company, making arch supports, including a three-pronged support piece designed to fit inside shoes to create a more balanced fit and better stability, hence the name New Balance. In 1933, New Balance created the Pedagraph Box, not to be confused with the Brannock device, which measures the length and width of a foot. The Pedagraph used tracing paper to measure its exact shape. But it's not just wide or narrow-footed people who have kept New Balance afloat and kept the word quality attached to its name and ethos for so many years. It's also the materials they use, the comfort of the shoes on feet, and the less is more approach to the design and color palette. New Balance shoes just feel better in hand than the shoes of their competitors. There's a bit of misconception and confusion around where New Balance shoes are made and why. Walk into any sneaker boutique with a New Balance account that allows it to stock New Balances from around the world, and you'll most likely see three to four different places of origin on their tongue tags. Made in USA, made in England, made in China, or made in Vietnam. New Balance even did a special made in Japan version of their 1300, limited to just 300 pairs as a shout out and a thank you to Japan's obsession with and appreciation of the 1300 and of classic vintage kicks and threads in general. The misconception is that New Balance's good quality stuff comes from smaller factories in the US and England and their crappier stuff comes from China or Vietnam. And while you're definitely paying a premium for made in USA and made in England models, I personally have pairs that were made in China, like the 2002 R Refined Future or Protection Pack model in the rain cloud colorway that is draped from toe to heel in thick cuts of hairy suede, buttery leather, and blanket soft mesh, and the New Balance 550 Rich Paul collaboration. Yes, New Balance collaborated with a sports agent on a sneaker, always the innovators, that is likewise draped in some of the best, most pillowy leather I've ever felt on a sneaker. Even higher-end collaborators like Tokyo's Junya Watanabe and his EYE 574s that came out last year and feature luxurious pig suede and soft leathers and retailed for a price of $330 Canadian were made in Vietnam. So what's the difference? Why are some balances made in Maine and others in China? Oftentimes it just simply boils down to equipment. The equipment required to make shoes is, as you can expect, unbelievably expensive and there are certain models that require certain machines that New Balance doesn't have on hand in every factory. Which is one reason why all of the 574s are made in China or Vietnam, all of the shoes in the 990 series are made in the US, and all of the 13, 14, and 1500s are made in England. There are also material and design differences based upon where the shoes are made. New Balance's Made in USA shoes are made of a minimum of 70% domestic materials and their Made in England shoes often point out the local tanneries and animal hide suppliers they use for their product, ensuring it remains distinctly English in origin and allowing them to select materials of the highest quality by hand. I have a pair of 1500s that is a collaboration between New Balance, clothing boutique Beams out of Tokyo and trendy fashionista sandwich shop Paperboy out of Paris. On the tongue tag of the shoe, it says Made in England, designed in Tokyo and Paris, which I love. 
And speaking of Beams and Paperboy, New Balance's collaborations have come to define the brand in recent years. Teddy Santis of Amelion Dor, Joe Freshgoods, Kith's Ronnie Feig, Versace's Salehi Bembry, Jound out of Montreal and the aforementioned Junior Watanabe of Comme des Garçons fame have all contributed to a catalog of collaborations that have enabled New Balance to emerge for really the first time as a legitimate threat to cultural commodores like Nike and Adidas. In fact, I would wager a guess that if you were to pull sneakerheads in Canada, the US and Japan, New Balance would come in second as a sneaker brand of choice behind Nike but ahead of Adidas especially now that Adidas no longer have the Yeezy catalog to brag about. And while all of these collaborations have grail-worthy releases under their belts and have helped New Balance shoot to the tip of the tongues of anyone interested in retro vintage kicks and fits, there is one name that has truly shifted the brand into a new fashion gear and helped usher in a whole new era for the dad shoe pioneers. Teddy Santis. Santis started a May Leon door in 2014 in New York City with the help of Kith's Ronnie Feig, and the brand went from word-of-mouth pop-up to Manhattan fashion staple in just a few short years. He began collaborating with New Balance in 2019, and by 2022, he was made creative director of the brand's Made in USA line. With Santis behind the wheel, Made in USA has released some of their loudest and most subtle 990 shoes to date. Some of the shoes, like the Marblehead and Macadamia Nut collections, are like vintage couches from the 70s in both color and materials. Others, like the purple and orange Amethyst and the purple and green Olive Leaf 990 V3s and the pink, purple, and bright orange Marigold 990 V2s, are some of the brightest, loudest sneakers in New Balance's catalog. And if you're not feeling loud and you're not feeling vintage, he's got you covered with his sea salt releases, which are basically all white with faint hits of gray or some conservative red, white, and blues, which take advantage of Santis's less is more aesthetic that he's brought to many of ALD's seasonal clothing collections. With Santis behind the wheel of the Made in USA line, as well as a host of rappers, sneaker boutiques, high-end fashion designers, and an ever-expanding roster of top-tier sports talent, New Balance is not only here to stay, but here to reign. They still don't have a jump man worth several billion dollars in annual revenue, and they still don't have a chokehold on a professional sport like Adidas does with soccer and Nike does with basketball, but they're no longer the little company that could. The company that built up a strong and loyal fan base from day one thanks to their commitment to quality materials, comfort without compromise, and a dedication to ensure that their shoes fit every foot. A fan base that kept the company afloat during the Great Depression when seemingly every business that wasn't a Fortune 500 company went under. Despite the fact that New Balance were not making cheap shoes for modest budgets. In fact, in 1980, New Balance released the 620 model, which was the first shoe to retail for a price of $50 USD. An unheard of amount to pay for a sneaker at that time. And as if to quite literally double down on the belief in their product and what it was worth, they released the first $100 shoe just two years later in 1982 when they introduced the 990 made in the UK. The made in England sneakers are still the most expensive sneakers New Balance makes, particularly if you buy them here in North America where you pay a premium for UK locally sourced high-end materials, heritage designs, and shoes that are partially handmade in a single factory in the English countryside. 
And while I still hear some sneaker people complain about the at-retail cost of some of New Balance's most celebrated and popular designs, the thing that New Balance heads understand that the average Joe does not is that when you pay $260 Canadian for a pair of 990 V6s in basic Castle Rock gray, you're getting $260 worth of sneaker for your money. On the other hand, when you pay 260 Canadian for a pair of Air Jordan 5 Aquas, for example, you're essentially getting a $160 sneaker that you're paying a $100 premium for the logo on the heel. And I'm not against Nike. I have lots of Jordans. I love my Jordans. Nike and Jordan brand have released the two best sneakers of 2023 so far in the white cement threes and the SB fours. I just know that when I spend my money on New Balance, whether the higher end made in USA or made in England stuff or the mass produced $115 574s you can find anywhere and everywhere, my money is going farther in terms of quality, durability and construction than it is with Michael Jordan or Kanye West. Because while Nike, Adidas, Converse, Vans, and Reebok have leaned on and relied on athlete and celebrity endorsements to sell their wares to the public, New Balance created and proudly displayed the slogan endorsed by no one from 1990 when they cut ties with James Worthy until 2018 when they signed Kawhi Leonard away from Jordan Brand, their first pro athlete signing since Worthy. And what's cooler than a company that says, We know what we make, we know what we have, you'll find out about us and buy our shoes not because your favorite artist or athlete is wearing them, but because they're just that good. And it worked. New Balance is drowning in endorsements today, but only after decades of going it alone, of being simultaneously the uncool, chunky-souled dad shoe that nerd bombers like Steve Jobs swore by and by being the best-kept secret in footwear to discerning sneakerheads. New Balance is like that hole-in-the-wall cafe that only the locals know about, where the coffee and pastries cost more than at Nike Starbucks, but where the coffee beans are sourced from a small town in Ethiopia and the pastries are made with local ingredients by hand. Yes, it costs more, but it's less crowded and tastes better. But it's getting more crowded. It's still relatively easy to cop New Balance's bigger releases, and it's almost guaranteed you'll be able to get your hands on anything they make that isn't a collab. Even the 550s and 80s basketball silhouette that New Balance brought out of the archives in partnership with Amé Leon Dor back in 2019 and has been almost impossible to buy for retail ever since is finally starting to sit on shelves and online for anyone who wants a pair. But more and more, artist and designer collabs with the brand are inching closer to hypebeast territory that was previously the sole real estate of Nike, Jordan, and Adidas Yeezy. New Balance still doesn't have anything in their roster that has the kind of demand and value that a Travis Scott Air Jordan does or an off-white Nike did when Virgil Abloh was still with us, but those Action Bronson 990 V6s did sell out mighty quick when they dropped in March, as did Joe Freshgood's 993s from back in October as did Jown's recent made-in-UK 991s, despite the fact that the 991s were a relatively boring, GR-looking, all-brown sneaker you'd have expected to find on your grandpa's feet a decade or so ago. But that's the Jown aesthetic, and the sneakers sold out in seconds, so who am I? But Travis Scott's Jordans, all of them, regularly sell for $1,000 or more, and a lot of what Virgil designed for Nike sells for three or four times that amount. ALD, Kith, Fresh Goods, Concepts, and Jowns typically don't do those kinds of numbers. 
But the point is not to be Nike. It's not to sign the next Michael Jordan, and it's not to discover the next rapper designer to partner with and to spin into a billion-dollar juggernaut like Yeezy. The point of New Balance is to be New Balance, the brand that went so many years endorsed by no one, the brand that chooses basketball players with gameplay styles that echo New Balance's own, a game that's subtle when it needs to be, that's flashy when it needs to be, that pays tribute to the old days but does it with a futuristic touch, a game with a level of quality and craftsmanship that in the no fans understand is rare and appreciate all the more because of it. Anyone that watches NBA basketball and understands the game on a deep level will tell you that Kawhi Leonard is a top five player in the NBA, whether you know it or not, just as anyone that buys New Balance sneakers will tell you that they're worth the money and are doing things no other brand is doing right now, whether you know it or not. In a recent article in GQ entitled Inside New Balance's Plans to Topple the Global Sneaker Hierarchy, Chris Davis, who is New Balance's chief marketing officer and vice president for merchandising and the son of Jim Davis, the man who bought the company with a $10,000 deposit back in 1972 and turned it and himself into something worth billions, was quoted as saying, our goal is to be the undisputed third largest athletic brand in the world which is kind of funny and kind of cute. Most other brands would say that their goal is to be the number one athletic brand in the world. And by no means is that to say that New Balance is not interested in being the next Nike and in usurping the swoosh gods. Of course they are. Who wouldn't be? But at the risk of sounding like a broken record, that's New Balance for you. They know who they are and they know what they're going for. To some people, getting silver is a devastating loss. To others, aiming for bronze means you've never had it better. And to be sure, the discerning sneaker connoisseur, whether they've been turned on to New Balance recently or, more rarely, have been with it since the worthy days, have never had it better. In terms of selection, quality, durability, and exciting collaborations to choose from. It almost makes you forget about preparing for yet another painful L when the final Travis Scott-Jordan collab drops at the end of the month. Almost. So there's your brief history of the 117-year-old New Balance. Thanks for hanging out. Next week, we'll finish off our New Balance two-parter with an entire episode dedicated to the best New Balance sneakers of all time, the best GRs, and the best collabs in the brand's illustrious history. We'll rank them, and we'll dig into the history of the shoes that made the cut. Hope to see you then. Take care.